Heather. How are you doing? I'm awesome. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, the the first question is actually more of a question of, uh, you know, kind of, you know, going in between um, where are you located? And the second question is, you know, like, how has been the pandemic going for you? I am on Vancouver Island in Canada, and the pandemic has been definitely challenging, I think, for, you know, as it has been for most people. Um, a big thing here has been, you know, access to healthcare and things like that have definitely been challenging because it's been such a change from how things used to be. Yep. And uh, in terms of, um, you know, like how much... Um, you know, like the, the 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 some of the thinking I have behind that question is, you know, like how much it has impacted, you know, like kind of the uh, isolation of people, the you know, like at, at some level, some some even depression. Uh, yeah. Have you have you felt any of that? Yeah, for sure. So I was struggling with depression for a long time before the pandemic, and I was receiving um, fairly intensive outpatient. Uh, psychiatric services, which were all disrupted by the pandemic. And yeah, yeah, just that isolation and the lack of access to my doctors and therapists did definitely contribute to to the depression, which ultimately culminated in me being hospitalized for psychiatric care back at the beginning of the pandemic in the spring of 2020. So right at the beginning, you end up... Um you know, like receiving services from, you know, um, for, 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 uh, mental health. Yes. Yeah. In June of 2020. Wow. So, you know, like you can't, it can't be, you know, like it can be at, you know, it can be at worst times, right. You know, like you, you know, like everyone is just freaking out at that time and, um, yeah. with, with distanciation, you know, like you can't bring any of your, you know, the, 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 the relatives or the, you know, the friends with you. So you end up, you know, kind of going there alone, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is not really something you want to have happen when you're in the hospital. You kind of want to lean on your friends and family. You want somebody exactly. you know, sitting yeah. in that visitor's chair next to the bed. And there was none of that. Ugh. That's crazy. You know, yeah. That's crazy. My, my, my mom passed. Um, literally in March oh, no. uh, of 2020. And, you know, it was like early enough so that, you know, like no one really knew what to do with us. You know, like they, they, they just kind of, you know, were saying, well, it has to be, I don't know, like 15 people. And then it was like, oh no, but 10 people. And then it was, you know, like they didn't know how to react, you know, like they, they just didn't know. And, um, yeah. and it was just, it, it, <laughs> It was a bit of like all over the place. And then, you know, like you, you, you know, like my mom was, my, my father is 70, he was 70 years old, you know, like, so, so it was more of the nature of us trying to be careful. Yeah. But, you know, like my uncle, which, you know, closer to 80 years old, would just go like fucking hug me, you know, like, I was like, well, <laughs> I shouldn't, you know, like it was really, really weird. Yeah, that's um, challenging because different people have different levels of comfort. And I know some like elderly people were super scared of it. And then others were like, well, I don't have that long to live anyway. So just let exactly. me live my life. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it was really weird, you know, like because, you know, like we were doing this for them, you know, like it was just like, well, 
I'm 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 trying to do this, you know, because I kind of don't know what's going on and and they were like, "No, no, no, but you know, like stop." You know, like I was like, "Well, you know, like I, I want to really be careful about that." You know, like anyways. Um the other thing is um you you know, like it, it, you know, like there, there's a sense of closure that you really want, but at the same time you don't want to hurt and you don't want to, you know, um so yeah, it was a it was a weird really weird situation. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine and all the recommendations were changing every day probably for the number of visitors and things like that you could have. So, or even exactly. for a funeral service, you know, it was 50 people and then it was 10 and then it was none and Exactly. And it was just like, okay, well, we really don't know. <laughs> it's like, should we wear a mask? And they were like, we're, we're not sure about the mask yet, you know, like so and so some people would come with gloves and masks and some other were just like, well, you know, like, no, you know, like, I'm not going to do that. And, you know, much later, they, you know, like not not too much later, actually, they actually told us that, you know, like, yeah, mask thing and all that. But, you know, like it was really early to um, to kind of impose anything. And, you know, like you saw that the even the, uh, you know, like the funeral place was just like, you don't know, you know, like so let's, yeah. you know, use the fact that, you know, like we don't know to half the ceremony and, you know, and, and then move on. And uh, it was uh, really weird. Yeah. There was just so much uncertainty and chaos really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's start with, you know, like kind of the beginning of it all. Um, you know, like I usually ask my guests to um, kind of rewind back their life story tape to some of the first, marking event in their lives you know like so it's either you know like when i talk to you know like people that suffered or suffers from addiction you know like it sometimes is you know like their own first use or you know like so seeing someone else use that has impacted their lives looking back um where would you bring bring me back heather you know like at that you know early moment in your life that had kind of defined who you became and who you know like you know the, the life that you had yeah, I think probably starting around three, my dad had cancer and then he left shortly after um, he was in remission. So that was definitely an effect. And I think around that time, I started really realizing that people viewed me as different and that, you know, even adults were uncomfortable around me. So it was getting that like self-awareness. I remember um, playing on the playground once with this kid. I was probably about five and he was a couple of years older and we were playing all afternoon. We were the only two kids there. And all of a sudden he looked at me and he went, why don't, why don't you ever look at anything? And I told him very matter of factly, you know, I'm blind. Like I have brown hair and blue eyes, no big deal kind of thing. Because at the, at the time, you know, you're a kid and you're kind of surrounded by your little bubble. So you don't really realize that you are different. And How old were you when that happened? I was five. Okay. And yeah. It may sound like a weird question, but does someone tell you that you are blind or, I'll, you know, because you're born like that, right? Yeah. Does mm. someone tell you, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? You know, like it, it may seem like a, because, you know, like if it's an accident or you lose your sight, I mean, you know, you know, like that, that human beings see. But when you're born like that, you know, like how, how, you know, like how do you 
happen to realize that, you know, like you can't see? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think it was not something that was never talked about. It was just kind of, you know, always there in the background. So I would hear about it and things like that. But it wasn't until I met that kid on the playground and he actually reacted really badly. He pushed me off the top of the slide and went down the slide and and made some comment about me being a blind bozo and then got on his bike and, and pedaled away as fast as he could. So it was like this really negative first experience with really realizing. So I think I knew at that point beforehand that I was blind, that people saw things that I didn't, but it just, it was neither positive nor negative. It was just something that was no different than being born with brown hair and blue eyes. Wow. And, and, and so that actually was literally the first time that someone makes you feel bad for being blind, actually. Yeah, yeah. I remember laying there and kind of everything just sort of clicked into place, like a, a million little moments that I had lived with other people before that, that I'd never really put together. And all of a sudden, it was this realization of, you know, I am different. People see me as different. And this is forever. I can't fix it. Shit. What kind of kid were you? Uh, were you like the, you know, kind of the little daredevil, um, you know, like, um, what kind of kid were you? Like you're saying that, you know, like you were actually playing on the playground and, you know, like having fun with, you know, other kids. Were you kind of outgoing, um, you know, like, so, you know, like kind of like, like little social beasts, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, up until elementary school, for sure, I was super outgoing and I would do everything that anybody else did. I, you know, wouldn't let, (laughs) even if they told me no, I would just do it anyways kind of thing. And, you know, I've talked to my mom about that because a lot of parents of kids with disabilities tend to sort of keep them in this bubble wrap kind of situation and don't really let them fall and get back up by themselves and my mom kind of said to me, like, well, even if we'd wanted to, we wouldn't have been able to with you. You you wouldn't have let us do that. So I was just very determined that I was going to do everything that my brother did, everything that my cousins did, everything that my friends were doing. I couldn't see why I shouldn't do it. How much uh, of that, um, you know, like you said, up until elementary school, how much of that changed when, you know, like when, when you got to school? A lot of it changed because I think around the time that I met that kid on the playground, other kids started noticing as well. And I think having that interaction with that kid also just made me more self-aware of it. And then I noticed that adults were uncomfortable around me. And I think I kind of just withdrew into myself because I. I don't know. It was really, it made me uncomfortable that other people were uncomfortable with me. So I just became less social and tried my hardest to make everybody comfortable around me because then I would be comfortable too. But when I couldn't achieve that, then it was just this like constant failure. That's, that's crazy. You know, because, you know, like you, you, you know, like there's a lot of, you know, like the, the people that I talk to, you know, like they can actually, 
you know, like they, they, they can change things, but mm-hmm. you can't, you know, like, uh, like it's uh, again, you know, like it, <laughs> you can't come back to, you know, like to kind of, you know, like the only thing you can change is the attitudes towards the situation. But at the same time, you know, like you, you probably at that time don't have yet the, uh, you know, like the maturity to, um, to understand that. Right. Yeah, I know. Exactly. So after that day on the playground, I made this promise to myself that I would never let anybody see that I was blind ever again, which obviously didn't work, but I didn't realize that as a kid. So I would like go through all these, all my books and everything and read books about different characters and really study their body language and try to almost mimic it so that I could look like a sighted person too. And it didn't work, obviously. And that was really frustrating for me. So every time somebody, you know, made a comment about me being blind, I just would be like, okay, I have to work harder because I'm still showing it. So I have to keep reading these books, keep studying, keep doing everything I can so that nobody will be able to tell. Uh, But that must be, you know, like that, that's a fucking nightmare. Yeah, it was exhausting. And you never win that battle. No, because, you know, like, and you probably get reminded by people being kind to you or being, you know, like, attend, you know, like to give you attention. And you're like, well, fuck your attention. You know, like, I, you know, like, I don't want it to show. I mean, you know, like, it's kind of a ironic, messed up situation where, you know, like you, you can't really, um, you know, like, because people, you know, like the, I would say that the majority of human beings want to do good, right? You know, like, so, mm-hmm. you know, like, if you feel, you know, like, if, you know, like, so even with good intention, it would probably hurt you at the time. Yes. Yeah. Because I would know that they knew and I would wonder what I was doing wrong. Wow. And so, <clears throat> how does that grow into you? How did, you know, like, I mean, do do you become like that that you know like almost like that antisocial you know individual do you you know like how do you you know like how does that pain grows into you yeah it manifested in um social anxiety at a really young age so by the time i was 7 i would be getting sent home from school all the time because i would be like sick to my stomach and I think I hope things are changing now, but at the time, my parents would take me to the pediatrician and things like that, and they would just kind of be like, "Oh, she's an anxious kid; she'll grow out of it," which is really unfortunate because that's you know the ideal time when you're a kid that those patterns can really be changed. And then I think the anxiety by my early teens led to depressions and feelings of I don't want to do this anymore. And uh, what what kind of effects does it have on your academic uh, progress? I was I was very academic. Um, that wasn't really an issue for me. It was definitely a struggle because I think what people don't realize is the lack of access that people who are blind often face. So I often wouldn't have textbooks. Um, or class notes, things like that. I couldn't get them in Braille in time. Um, I didn't have a calculator for math, so they just said, well, do it in your head, which, you know, by the time you're doing high school math, that's 
pretty challenging. So it was it was a challenge in that way, but I was able to keep being very academic throughout my school. Does and were you at regular school with you know like kind of yeah so so yes. all you had is like supplemental tools to help yeah. you progress through it yeah basically there is just a lot of I think it's getting better too because of technology now but when I was growing up there was either braille or books on tape and it was very difficult to get either one of those things yeah and you need to learn braille. Yes. Which, you know, like the, the, you have no point of comparison, but you're like, this must be a challenging task. It was challenging because there was nobody there to teach me Braille. So basically my, my educational assistant would do the course at the same time I was doing the course and just be like one lesson ahead of me and try to teach me that way. So she didn't really, she was incredible, but she didn't really know, you know, what she was doing either. So it's, you know, like getting taught to read by somebody who doesn't actually know how to read. Damn. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Um, how does that, you know, like kind of, uh, social anxiety grows as well? Like, does, does it make you, uh, you know, like, um, you know, like in terms of, you know, like the, the, does it grow into a depression? Does it, you know, like how does it grow? Yeah, I think it kind of grew into this perfectionism of when I'm outside of my house, I have to be perfect all the time because if I'm not, then people will doubt my capabilities even more than they already do because that's a big struggle that we face is that people think that we are incompetent. And so I didn't want to do anything that would further give credence to that assumption. So yeah, it got really challenging to be outside of home because I was always trying to be on 100% of the time, which then, as you say, leads to depression because of the anxiety and who wants to feel like that all the time, who wants to feel anxious and sick and like they're never good enough all the time. How does, you know, like, the, you know, like how does the uh, puberty and teen um, time is for you? You know, like what, what's your memory of that period of time? It was really challenging. It was really isolating I felt like my friends were growing apart from me a little bit. Um, there was a lot of bullying. I did have a really great core group of friends, but I felt like with them, you know, we'd go to say an amusement park or something like that. And somebody inevitably would have to stay behind with me and walk slower because I couldn't navigate the stairs and obstacles as fast as everybody else could, but they'd always want to be running ahead so they could ride as many rides as they possibly could but then you know this poor unfortunate person would always get stuck behind and so it made me not really want to do things and be social because I was really cognizant of the fact that I was slowing them down and I knew they were noticing it as well they never said anything to me but you know you just kind of know so yeah it was a really isolating time I was really fortunate in that I got into music at a really early age. My first album came out when I was 16. So that was kind of 
my refuge really from from the teenage years would be to sit down at the piano and write songs and you know look for that human connection because then when my CD came out I would be performing at concerts and things like that and people would come up to me after the show and be like I I heard this song and it really meant a lot to me because I went through such and such a thing so it was really finding that human connection through music and that universality of emotion how much um how much does that helps you you know like how 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 um therapeutic that kind of you know like the the discovering that you know like you have not only a passion for it but you know like you you must have been good at it um how much is that therapeutic for you yeah it was extremely therapeutic it was also really great because um the producer who i was working with um connected me with some really fantastic other musicians and things like that and they would be like a lot older than me but for the first time i felt like people were just treating me like a person you know they didn't treat me like the musician who was blind they just treated me like the girl who loved music so that was incredibly positive in that way as well and um and how successful were you you know like how you know like th did it you know like did it work did, w was it something that you you know you could you know kind of perceive yourself or see yourself ahead in making a living out of yeah i think music's changed a lot since i started i still am a musician i still do work in music but it's definitely become more challenging, especially with the pandemic. You know, there was no live performance opportunities for like two yeah. years and even getting together with to record with people. So that was really challenging. So I have, I did put out three albums since I started and we're actually just wrapping up a fourth one now. So. Are you still, so you, you still are having fun doing it? Yeah, yeah, I like it a lot. There was time as I got sicker, as the pandemic neared and my mental health struggles became more apparent, I would be like standing up on stage and just thinking to myself, like, I don't want to do this shit anymore. Um, just really going through the motions. And I actually stopped playing music at all a couple months before the pandemic because it just didn't feel like you know, it was fair to myself or my audience. And I remember one day standing up on stage, it was an outdoor festival, it was freezing cold, it was raining, and just really going through the motions. And then all of a sudden thinking to myself, I don't have to do this. And it was such a relief. So in a way, that was kind of positive for me. Um, uh, with the pandemic is that there wasn't a lot of um, performance opportunities. So it actually got gave me a chance to step back from music and really reevaluate what i want from music and um bring me back you know like you said you know like until you know like kind of the shit at the fan moment um can you bring me back like a few months weeks you know like what 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 happened you know like what is the circumstances of you know like kind of that crisis happening Yeah, so I've had major depressive episodes since my early teens. So, you know, some months or years are great and then others really aren't. And, you know, I went to university, traveled around, lived abroad, and things would be good and then they wouldn't be. And then in, I guess, November of 2018, 
I entered into a major depressive episode that didn't end like the other ones had. And it just went on and on for months. And I got sicker and sicker. And I stopped eating. I stopped sleeping. And I made an emergency appointment with my doctor. And he adjusted my medication. He made sure I was getting more consistent mental health care um, supports outside of outpatient. And things were improving. And then the pandemic hit and it was like everything was out of control. I couldn't control anything. Um, The only thing I really could control is in my thoughts how and when I was going to die. And during all those depressive major depressive episodes, something that always kept me going was like these survival goals. Like I can't kill myself until I take this trip to Mexico or I can't kill myself until my best friend comes to visit one more time. So it would always be like these things that I was working towards. And then as soon as they were over, I would try to find something else to work towards so I could keep going a little bit longer. Were you sharing that with anyone? No, not, not really. No. Okay. But sorry, when the pandemic, no, I didn't want to cut you off. Yeah, I didn't want to cut you off. Sorry. No, no worries. Then, you know, this the pandemic comes. Nobody, as we talked about before, had any clue what was going on. It was just complete chaos. We didn't know how long it was going to last. So all of those survival goals were really put on hold because I didn't know when I would be able to do any of those things. So it just got to the point where I was like, well, you know, what's the point? There was no point everything's out of control. I'm going to choose a time and a place to die. And what happened? Jeez, he's like, that's, that's kind of, you know, like the ultimate extreme, right? Like that yes. there's no, there's no looking back. Um, what happened then? So I got all my affairs in order. I made all my arrangements And the day before I was planning to die, I had made actually way back when I first started with um, the therapist I was seeing at the time, I had made a safety plan with him, which is basically like you have two columns and one column is signs that I'm spiraling. The other column is what to do with these different signs. So, you know, call this friend, try distracting myself with you know, meditation or whatever. And the very last thing on that list was if all else fails, go to the hospital. So I was like, you know, I I wasn't interested in getting better at all, but I decided to go to the hospital really seeking absolution, not to get better. But I figured it would be easier for my family and friends when I was gone to look back at my last days and kind of go, well, she tried, she went to the hospital. And so I expected that they would just you know, I would go there and they'd be like, oh, you're fine, go home. And then I could continue on with my plans. But that obviously didn't end that way. I was admitted as an involuntary patient. What, what was your reaction to that? It was, at the time, I think I viewed it more as an inconvenience. And I figured, oh, I'll get out. You know, the most they can hold me is 24 hours or whatever. I'll get out tomorrow and then I'll be able to do it. Which, no, they they held me until there was uh, one night I was lying awake in bed. I couldn't sleep because they were adjusting all my medications and things like that. And there was this patient that was brought in by air ambulance in critical condition. And as soon as they arrived... 
there was a code blue that was called and I was lying there and I started thinking about the patient's family and friends and thinking, my God, their loved ones must be having one of the scariest nights they've ever known. And then I started thinking, how can I feel so much compassion and empathy for their loved ones when I know the choice I want to make will devastate my own? And then I started thinking about the patient and thinking, this person, like what a juxtaposition, this person is fighting to live and I'm fighting to die and I have a choice in this. And if I choose to live, it was like I had to make a choice in that moment. I was either going to bide my time until I could get out and then I would die or I could choose to live and write my book, share my story through music, through, through the book, through talks and all of that sort of um, like all fell into place. Yeah, yeah, it all kind of, you know, like you said, fell into place and I was able to make something positive out of what was a really difficult situation. And just probably find a calling. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Find that purpose, you know, what moving through that pain and turning that pain into a purpose. Whew. And, and, um... Was there like, you know, like, was there like, um, kind of like the, the, the um, chemical imbalance, you know, like, were you, were you, you know, like, were you, were you asked to take, you know, like some, some, pres- you know, prescription stuff, you know, like, or, or, you know, like, were, were you, you know, like, do you think that has helped and, and kind of rebalance things in your brain? Yeah, I think. <laughs> Like I went into the hospital on medication. They made a lot of adjustments to it when I was in the hospital because it obviously wasn't working at the doses and the the specific medications that I was taking. So they've kind of played with it a little bit um, out of the hospital as well. They kind of, it's one of those things that it's like you never seem to find the, the per- they're always making like these little adjustments because, yes. you know, things change and life changes. And I think it has been helpful. I think, you know, if, if somebody hasn't taken medication before, there's kind of this view of it, like, oh, you just take a pill and everything's better. And it's not sometimes it's just the little kick that you need to be able to actually function in therapy and, and be able to work through some things because without it, you're just, you know, practically comatose. So it's not like you take this pill forever and everything's great. It's, you know, it, there, there's a lot nothing more instant. Than that. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing instant and there's no magical pills. No, um, no, there really aren't. And it's also individualized and trial and error with, with the psychiatric meds. Do, um, so, you know, like you, you, you get that, did you get that realization while you were, uh, in the hospital still? The, like kind the, of the realization of- that, you know, like are finding your, you know, like your, that calling or that, you know, like that purpose. W- yeah. W- were yeah. You still- it was that yeah. same night that the person was brought in by air ambulance that I really realized all of that. So it was kind of like one of those moments that I guess we get a couple times in our lives where everything is just super clear, but then things actually got, you know, believe it or not worse before they got better because all of a sudden I think I'd been so just going through the motions and everything in the hospital and just doing whatever the doctors and nurses said, but I wasn't really caring. I was just waiting to get out. 
And then when I, when I actually started being an active participant in my treatment plans and things like that, stuff started to hurt. <laughs> what started to hurt? Just all the, all the traumas and everything. I remember the, the day after that realization, I went to group therapy, which is really an interesting thing in a hospital setting because there's so many different needs in the psychiatric yeah. unit. You know, you have your confused patients, you have people who are suicidal, you have, you know, um, people who are struggling with substance use, like there's just a little bit of everything. So they're trying to cater to all these different needs in a, ther a group therapy setting and it just like really doesn't work. So one of the, the guys who was in the group therapy made a comment that was really upsetting for me. And I went back to my room and it just, everything kind of hit all at once. I'd been numb for so long that all this emotion just, you know, I've never felt so much grief. I don't think such profound grief in my life. And I just, I laid there and I cried. And in the end, they ended up sedating me because there was just no we weren't going to get anywhere that day. They tried to work through it with me and it was just like beyond that point. So they sedated me. And I just remember thinking the last thought I had before I was fully sedated was, you know, this isn't how my life was supposed to go. And so when you wake up from that, um, you know, like w w was there, you know, like anything, um, you know, like, what could you do? You know, like, did, you know, like, did you have any um, kind of, you know, like, how did you proceed to get better? So I think that kind of initial grief sort of wore off that day. And then I was actually able to work through things with the psychiatrists and, and the, uh, psychiatric nurses so basically you have one appointment every day with this is how it worked at the hospital I was in I'm sure it varies depend, depending on the hospital and the treatment plan and everything but I would have one meeting with the psych, uh, the psychiatrist when he would do his rounds one meeting a day and then the psych nurses basically acted as the counselors or the therapists and they would do little almost impromptu sessions you know maybe 15 or 20 very short therapy sessions throughout the day. So it was very intensive, but it wasn't, you know, when you're doing outpatient, you're often sitting there for like an hour or whatever in therapy. These sessions could be like as short as 10, 15 minutes. And it's just, you know, these constant reminders of cognitive behavioral therapy and, you know, mindfulness of forming better um, coping mechanisms. Um, yeah, just, just really working on better, I guess, um, ways to be more resilient. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, you know, like, again, you know, like it's the, um, it's, it's how it, it's this perception that's, you know, like you can't control, you know, like, so, so that's, that's what, you know, um, yeah, I mean. Um, there's, there's no other way, you know, like, so, um, 
you know, like there, there are things that you can't control. There are things that you cannot change, but it, it really is based on the perception, right? You know, that, you know, like how do you perceive and how do you react to it? Um, yeah, you know, like it's, uh, <clears throat> my wife yeah. and I have like, like a lot of conversation around that, you know, like it's, uh, what can you control? You know, like, so if you can't control it, you know, like there's, there's nothing much you can do, you know, like you need to kind of, accept it and you know i can move on and you know be like resilient but you know like i you know like it's uh sometimes i feel that you know like we overuse that term but you know like it's yes. um you know like it's it's um there is definitely resilience through that in that yeah but it's not um you know you know sometimes some people would say you know like well, fuck off, you know. Like, yeah. You know, like it's, you know, fuck your resilience and, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, exactly. I remember talking to one of the psychiatrists in the hospital about the theory of radical acceptance. And he said to me, you know, maybe part of your healing while you're here is accepting that you are here and you're blind to show people what it is to overcome adversity. and. I'm, I said to him, I don't, you know, who gets to decide that that's my purpose. But what I was actually thinking is, well, I never asked to be anyone's fucking inspiration. Exactly. You know, yeah, like, so, so it's anger you know, like, I think, at first. Yeah. You know, like it, and you know, like there, there, there might be a calling through that, but you know, like you, you may not want to take the fucking call, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, there's a calling here. Yeah. But you know, I'm not picking up, you know, like, fuck you. You know, like, I, I don't want that. You know, I like, can, and, and so, you know, like you can fight it up for a while and, you know, like there's, there's really something that, um, and if it, you know, it has to does you, it has to do you good. You know, like that's the other thing, you know, like, so, you know, like if it, if it does, you know, like until it does you good, it is, yeah. you know, like you, you can't understand why, um, you know, like it, it, it is such a calling or it is such a purpose, you know, like it, it has to be good and, and do good on both sides. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I wasn't in the headspace to hear it. And, you know, I reflected on it a lot because all you all you have in there is time to sit there and think. And I reflected on it and I was kind of like, well, you know what? Yeah, to a certain extent, that's true because I can't control people's reactions to me if they want to see me as, you know, <laughs> this inspiring little snowflake or whatever. Then, I mean, I guess that's that's up to them. I can't change that. So I may as well not spend so much time and energy worrying about it and fighting against it. How long does it take before you uh, you you actually um, kind of embrace that? <laughs> I think it's. I think I'm still working on it every day. I think you never get to a point where it's like a finish line and you're like, okay, I'm I'm totally cool with this. I'm embracing it now. It's something I have to remind myself of every single day and. You know, some days I'm a lot better at it than others. Yeah. And, um, w you know, like, what do you decide of the, um, how you're going to do that? You know, like in terms of, you know, like when, when you find that, you know, like purpose and calling and, you know, like, what's your, what's your game plan from there? Yeah, I think for me, it was 
accepting it and then accepting the parts that I could have control over. So, you know, educating people isn't a bad thing when it's done on my terms. So I don't want somebody to come up to me in the grocery store and go, what's it like to be blind? You know, which they do all the time. And it's like, well, what's it like to be sighted? I don't know. Um, But I think education is important if it's done on my terms. So, you know, writing the book. I'm sorry, Heather. Do people really come to you, strangers, and ask you that question? All the time. Yes. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Or they don't talk to me directly if I'm with somebody else. They'll be like, oh, you're so wonderful for taking care of her or if we're at a restaurant, the waitress will be like, oh, what, what does she want to eat? Oh my God. I can't, you know, like, how does it feel to be blind? Well, how does it feel minding your fucking business? You know? Exactly. Or like, oh, were you, were you born that way? And I always want to be like, were you born stupid? Yeah. Like, I oh. mean, there really is something about, you know, like the intrusion of intimacy and, you know, like private lives, you know, like that, that I don't understand, you know, like that there's, um, I don't know what to say. You know, like, you know, I'm sorry for humanity. You know, like, so. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just nobody's it's nobody's right to know, and I think sometimes people feel this weird entitlement that they have. You know, they want to know, so they feel like they should be able to ask the question. You know, they might be the fifth person yeah. who's asked me the same damn question today. And but that, they don't. Not, think you know, like that. my my son is on the spectrum, right? You know, like and and he's only six. You know, like so there's you know. It still is, um, for for people, you know, like at six years old, and he's tiny, so mm-hmm. it we're still in that margin of people. There's something awkward about it, right? You know, like where people, you know, like they, they can't really ask because you know, like he's not, he's 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 all here, you know, like is there's very little speech impeachment, uh, you know, like the, the, there's there's kind of some challenges you know like in his speech and you know like in some of the cooperation obviously on some of the social codes but you know like we're still at that awkward point but you know like i can't imagine like in a few years you know like even maybe in one year like that people will try to you know like you know how is it you know like i'm i'm gonna lose my shit you know like i'm i'm just gonna i guess i'm gonna be punching a lot of people in their face but you know like that's just me uh yeah no, there's some yeah. days where it just gets to be too much and you're always expected to be willing to answer questions and to never be having a bad day or, you know, for people to interrupt you. I remember people like I had a guide dog for a while. I retired her actually kind of because of this, because people would come up like, well, I was sitting in a restaurant having dinner with my friends and be like, oh, you know, talk to me about your guide dog. How old is she? What's her name? What's her breed? And I'm like, how does this is this really going to change your date <laughs> to know these things? Like if wow. you don't need to know, you don't need to know. So I think, yeah, it'll be kind of the same with your son. You know, the people who know, know, and the people who don't know, don't need I'm to know. Training an assist- I'm, actually, I'm actually training an assistance dog. And, you know, um, there's, there's a lady that comes here every Monday and she goes at, you know, at stores and shops and all that uh, yeah. with my dog. And, Every single time she comes back, she's like, you have no idea how much I need to fight off people from petting her, yes, uh, interacting with her, 
you know, like, I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, like, we're in 2021. You're like, haven't we learned like that? I know. It's ridiculous. It is crazy. You know, like, yeah. it's just like, hello, doggy, doggy. You're like, what the fuck? Have you not understood? And, you know, like, I didn't know about that. It, I I literally didn't know that people were that dumb. Oh, until, yeah. No, it's a thing. It, until I started that and went on YouTube and saw literally compilation of our story with assistance dogs yeah yeah and just people petting the dog uh calling the dog off uh kicking the 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 individuals with their their you know like their assistance animal out of uh stores i'm like what you know like anyway so it's just um and in Canada, it still is unclear. You know, like we have very little, except for, I think for um, blind dogs, especially in Quebec, there's one organization that pretty much has like the, the old monopoly, you know, like they're, they're monopolistic about, you know, like the, yeah, the, the, mirror the blind foundation. Dogs. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and because of that, it kind of, you know, like blocks the, the, the way for other organization to develop uh, assistance dogs that are, certified and and recognized yeah. um and so beside you know mira should have well they do have um you know like um dog that could be trained for special needs kids such as you know like autistic kids yeah. but there's so over um th- there's so many requests that you know like they can't they can't feast them and so when i reach you know like when i reached out to them they literally told me well, basically told me to fuck off, you know, like not, not, not only that they couldn't help me, but couldn't even recommend somewhere that I could, I could get help from. Um, yeah. And so I was like, okay, well, thanks a lot. But, you know, like, is there, and, you know, like the, the, actually just no response. You know, like they were like, well, we can't do anything about this. I'm like, okay. And so I turned and, you know, I like started, you know, making some research and realized that, you know, like there aren't any official laws in Canada around, you know, like assistance dogs and, and, you know, no, there's nothing national. It's up to each province. So we don't have like in the U S they have the ADA, which covers service dogs. Yeah. We don't have that. And, and BC actually is in the better position than we are, which, you know, for just, for example, the, um, that the tests that the organization that I reach out to that are they're you know, like that, they're, they're the ones helping me train the dog. Um, they inspired their tests from s- some quote unquote official test that BC yeah. has. And so they copied that and they're like, okay, so if you're, if you, if your dog passed that test, we're going to actually um, kind of certify your dog as an assistance dogs, even though it almost has no way in, you know, like that, you know, like if, if it, like if a shop decides that you can't come in, you know, I keep pretty much dead in water. Um, even, you know, like even the, the vest is actually someone in Canada that, you know, she does the vest, but you know, like there's nothing official around that, you know, like, so I could have, you know, I could have done the pink dotted, you know, like with, with, you know, like some Disney characters. Oh, totally. Yeah. You know, material on and it, you know, call this a vest and, uh, that would be it, you know, like, so yeah, it's, it's unfortunate really unfortunate yeah. yeah and you can file a human rights complaint if you do get denied service but they rarely go anywhere it's just 
Yeah, it's it's a shame the state of the service dog situation here and BC. Yeah, it's weird because it has that. There's that test, but then you have these certification cards that you're supposed to carry everywhere. And there's two problems with that. One, I don't want any person who comes up and asks to see it to necessarily have my name. Like I don't know who they are. I don't know if they're actually from the place of business. And two, if you're coming, like I had a friend who was coming here last minute for a funeral from Alberta with her guide dog. She didn't have time. You're supposed to apply online beforehand and everything to get this um, temporary, I guess, certification for out of province. She didn't have time to do any of that. And she was denied service here. So, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah. It really is crazy. Yeah. Um, what you know like what did you decide to uh you know like to do from that point on you know like in terms of you know like helping others you know like helping um you know like you know especially since you told me that you know like you felt it was a bit of your um your purpose what was you know like how did you uh embark on that journey actually so i think the big thing was actually writing the book and really kind of trying to answer that question that people always ask of what is it like to be blind? So hopefully they'll stop asking me because there's not really that much literature, I guess, on it. And then combined with the mental health stuff, um, you know, the second half of the book really talks about being hospitalized for psychiatric care and what that actually looks like, trying to pull back that curtain on it because I think people hear about it and they think you know one flew over the cuckoo's nest or whatever or girl interrupted I don't know and you know that that uncertainty that unknown creates a lot of fear the um and and you know like are so you you, it's almost just started right yeah Yeah, just as soon as I got home, probably a week after getting out of the hospital, I just opened up my laptop and started to write. Wow. How's it going so far? It's good. The book came out a couple months ago, and it's been super positive. I wasn't really sure how it was going to be received. There was a lot of sleepless nights because... You know, when you're writing a memoir, you're writing about people who are still alive, whose stories have intersected with yours. So there's that to consider. There's the whole stigma around mental health, around suicide, around disability that I just didn't know how people would respond to. But I've actually been fairly um, pleasantly surprised. It's definitely been different than releasing music because when I released any of my albums, it's like family and friends are all over it. You know, they're sharing it on social media all the time. They're listening to it. They're sending me messages about how much they enjoy it. When the book comes out, it's it's a little bit different. People are a little more hesitant or they read the book and they don't quite know what to say. They don't really want to share it with their friends. So that kind of shows me that it was actually an important thing to do because clearly we do have work to do around and breaking that stigma. And um, what is the book called? It's called Holding On by Letting Go. And, you know, um, where can people find you? You know, like the, the, you know, like this, this is, 
you know, like always the question that, you know, like I get asked a lot, you know, like, the, you know, like from, from my, from my, you know, like the people listening, um, where can people find you online? Yeah, they can go to my website. It's www.heather-hutchison.com, H-U-T-C-H-I-S-O-N. And on that site, there's links to my book. It's available on Amazon, Audible, basically anywhere you buy books. It's available in print, ebook, and audiobook. And as well on that website, there's um, links to all my music, my Spotify, Apple Music, um, all my social media and everything. So it's very easy to connect from that from that one place. And so for anyone that listens, you just scroll down. It's in the description of, you know, like the, um, of the episode, you know, like no need to, um, pause or anything, you know, like it's right below. Um, Heather, really thank you for your time. You know, like I had a blast, uh, hearing your story. Um, and you know, like, uh, so happy that, you know, like you, you, you know, like you found, not only a calling, but you know, like kind of a reason and reasons to live. You know, like it's uh it's fucking worth it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's totally worth it. That's what I always tell people. You know, you might not feel like it right now, but if you stick it out, there will come a day where you'll stop in a moment and you'll feel so much joy and you'll think to yourself, I would have missed this. So it it's totally worth it to hang on for that moment. Yeah, it is. And uh, really, I really, uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. And you know, I wish you success with the book and uh, success with uh, anything that you uh, actually, you know, like um, that you that you that you start off in projects and all. You know, like really mm-hmm. with your m- career and your your artistry. You know, like all of that. You know, like I, I wish you the best, Heather. Really. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for your time. Take care. You too. Bye bye. Bye.